Welcome, friends. You are listening to the Mind Body Alchemy podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Miramontes. This is where intuition meets education in the realms of spirituality, fitness, mindset, and more, all to create lasting change. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Mind Body Alchemy podcast. I am so excited for my show today. I have a very special guest for you. I am bringing on Leslie Hooper. Leslie has helped countless people stop binging and guides them out of diet hell and into a relationship with food that is peaceful using a psychology-based approach with a little bit of tough love and a whole lot of compassion. Her Instagram page is a wealth of knowledge and just might give you the kick in the ass you need to stop starting over on Monday. In addition to being an incredible coach, I consider her a mentor and friend. I'm excited to have her on the show to discuss a topic that is touchy, but also seems quite common among those of us who have long dieting histories. Today, we're talking about binge eating, and I know you're going to have some incredible takeaways. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steph. That was quite the intro. I appreciate the kind words. Um, If you wouldn't mind... Will you take just a moment to tell my listeners a little bit about who you are and maybe some of your background? I feel like the two are strongly connected, right? So my background with, um, I guess, in this space, when I think about it, I kind of grew up moving around a lot as a kid. I was one of six, I am one of six kids, and That means I spent a lot of time hanging out with my brothers, trying to fit in with them. My family was very much into athletic pursuits. So I also got involved in the athletic stuff. That was a big part of my childhood and even into my adulthood. So when you kind of outgrow the team sport thing, you start looking for other ways to be active since that was just such a big part of my identity. So When I moved to Dallas, Texas, when I was in my mid-20s, I didn't really know anybody there, but I needed some friends, so I joined a gym. That was the beginning of my dieting days. I was never a dieter prior to that. Didn't really think I had weight to lose. I didn't. Food was not an issue for me. It's not something I really thought about. But as I joined a gym, got more immersed in the culture, started reading more about fitness. Well, you can't read about strength training without reading about diet, right? The two are just very tightly wound together. So I started down the rabbit hole of learning more about weight loss. Um, But I wasn't really trying to like lose weight as much as I was trying to build muscle and just get like that lean tone fit look like you see on the cover of a magazine. Keep in mind, this is also before social media. So I was stuck in old internet forums like T Nation, which is like heavily bodybuilding community. (laughs) So you can imagine how extreme the dieting tactics and strategies I was reading about. So I, it didn't take me long to get very extreme in my approach with dieting. And it wasn't until I started working with a coach online Um, again, before social media was just a guy I read about on online, everybody in this forum was having really good luck with him. And actually nowadays he's like really a big deal in the figure and bikini community. So has a lot of Olympia athletes that he works with. So just to give a little bit of background of like where I came from, 
It was not until I started following a very strict macro counting approach to dieting that I then became a chronic binge eater. And the more I dieted, the more I put on weight, which was obviously really counterproductive to the goal. I was just trying to tighten up a little bit, you know, but it had me eating a thousand calories a day and then binging on 3000 calories at night. And then I would be in the gym the next morning, an hour and a half of cardio, go to work, hit the gym on my way home, do a strength training workout, maybe do another 30, 45 minutes of cardio. And then I would binge again like a day or two later. So that was my cycle for years. And it wasn't really until I stopped dieting that I was able to kind of lose weight and effortlessly maintain it. So that's what I help my clients with today is predominantly, as you mentioned, bringing an end to the binge eating and also emotional eating is something else that I, you can't really unravel one without the other, I think. I completely agree with you on that. Um, and that's a really important point that you said when you start talking about bikini and figure and Olympia, and I'm not sure if all my listeners know what that is, but it's basically a competition where you stand up on stage against a bunch of other people and a panel of judges decide who has the best body and the best tan and the best posing routine. And you have to be extremely lean to the point where there are um, pretty severe consequences metabolically for most people. So it's interesting to me that as we start to look for um, instruction, guidance, help, and we look to experts, oftentimes there is sort of a one-size-all-fits, one-size-fits-all approach, and everyone gets stuck on these same plans, either really restrictive counting, lots and lots of exercise that you, it sounds like you probably didn't need. You probably weren't very um, soft to begin with. You were, you know, looking for that lean toned look, which you probably could have achieved much easier than to take a competition level diet approach. Uh, yeah, just, that's an understatement. I didn't have a lot of body fat to lose. Why the hell was I spending all this time exercising? And as you know, Steph, the more you exercise, the more of a stressor it is on the body. So my cortisol hormone was through the roof. My sleep was shit. My hunger was also through the roof. My cravings were through the roof. And my energy was completely tanked. So it's not a real conducive environment for weight loss to happen when the body is in a stressed state like that. I don't think a lot of your listeners and my listeners on my podcast really get the idea that exercise is a stressor on the body and the body does not respond well to weight loss when it's constantly in this state. So moderation really seems to get the best results. People don't want to hear that because they think if some exercise is good, then more must be better and just put their foot on the gas, right? But the reality is, in my experience, working with over 2,000 women now, I've just witnessed that the body responds best to moderation, moderate deficit, moderate amount of exercise. You've got to get that rest recovery time in, no doubt about it. Absolutely. And stress is another topic that we could probably go down for an additional episode, and maybe we'll have to do that one time. Um, 
And I think that that brings an important point as well. When you are so stressed out because you're controlling so much about your food and you're controlling so much about your exercise that you become um, very over-identified with looking at, paying attention to, and changing your body, um, of course, that is going to lead your brain down this rabbit hole of what else can I do and how can I make this more perfect and um, what can I do to, to change this and to change that. And you find flaws that you probably didn't even really think you had before. I mean, perceived flaws, right? That is what that really is. But you start judging your own body, other people's body, your body against other people's bodies. And that adds another layer of stress and frustration and not good enoughness, in, at least in my experience. Completely. I feel like comparison trap or, you know, if you're looking for something to dislike about yourself, you're going to find it 100% of the time. So it's just not even a path that I like to explore at that point in my life. I very much was stuck in that negative thought loop of never feeling good enough feeling like a failure every time I overate by 10 grams of, you know, carbs or whatever the case may be. It was just a constant battle with myself. And my whole life revolved around food and restriction and isolating myself and avoiding social situations and holidays. And, you know, I just wasn't enjoying my life. My list of foods was shrinking and shrinking. And obviously as a result, so was my life. I wasn't actually participating in my life for those years. I was just a slave to the diet. Yeah. And um, do you, did you find in your experience, I know you touched on this a little bit, but as you said um, that you, you know, went over 10 grams of carbs or something like that, and I just envisioned, you know, counting out almonds or, you know, I, I heard of one company at one time that had people cut their grapes in half, you know, like you can have four and a half grapes or something absolutely ridiculous like that. And you talked about, shrink I know, right? You talk about shrinking your life and your food list, but that actually didn't end up shrinking your body like you had intended, right? Obviously not. It had the opposite effect. Like I was agonizing over this for nothing for years. Had I just continued my path that I was on before I had ever started dieting as someone who was active, I was never active before I joined the gym for weight loss, right? It was just something fun that I was doing because I enjoyed it and I happened to be pretty good at it, which was great for my self-esteem as a teenager and then eventually a college uh, athlete as well. It was something that gave me a lot of fulfillment and purpose and enjoyment and I liked the community and interacting with the other girls on the team. And so I just really thrived in that environment, but it was never about weight loss for me until I joined the gym and started researching more about um, how to achieve like a certain aesthetic ideal because I was also becoming more aware of body standards and beauty and things like that at that point in my life as well. I mean, I was aware of it, but I think I just became more hyper-focused on it, right? Um, to be fair, like when I moved to Dallas, I didn't really know anybody. So it, it gave me a lot of free time to go down the rabbit hole. And that was kind of what I did was read, 
and learn, two things that I've always been really passionate about, but I just got caught reading the wrong stuff from the wrong people. And that's how this starts, right? Just something as simple as following the wrong person on social media. And next thing you know, you wake up 10, late, 10 years later and you're like, what the fuck was that? Um, <laughs> that's totally how I feel about that part of my life because it, you know, fortunately nowadays there are a lot of great resources on social media, but like I said, back then there wasn't really social media. It was just me hanging out in a T-Nation forum and getting Oxygen Magazine, which is also not a healthy, well-balanced approach to weight loss, right? So I was just stuck in that life. Yep. That's, I mean, Oxygen Magazine was one of my very first introductions to a different idea about um, what you can achieve with your body as well. My initial influence was always the Victoria's Secret body or, you know, what was on television, but you didn't really see fit, muscular people on television or in Victoria's Secret. They're a little bit more now, but at that time, I remember walking through the grocery store and I saw a magazine with Ava Cowan on the front, IFBB pro figure competitor with chains around her neck doing dips. And I was like, oh, I could do that instead, right? I always fought the skinny ideal because I am a shorter, thicker body type. And I was just like, oh, maybe I could do that instead. And that sent me down an entire rabbit hole as well. So it's crazy how you can just have one little trigger that just completely changes the trajectory of your life, sometimes not in the best of ways. And I feel like that was similar for me. I knew that I was never going to be a Victoria's Secret model lookalike. I had enough awareness about my body to recognize that that was never in my genetic potential. But I was an athlete. And for the first time in my life, before it was even Oxygen Magazine, the first woman that, whose body that I looked at and was like, wow, I could look like that was Mia Hamm. So, you know, Olympic star soccer athlete and I was like I just loved her legs because I'm like she has strong legs and I love the fact that of course that they were smooth and they were cellulite free and she had a flat stomach and you could see like a little outline right so like that was kind of my inspiration from the jump was Mia Hamm and then I got a little older and that's when I got exposed to the oxygen magazine and then that was my bible for years. Yeah. Well, kind of shift gears a little bit. I think we could probably talk about our dieting histories and stuff for forever, but I would like to kind of define binge eating. And the way that I personally define it is eating an unnatural or excessive amount of food that is followed with a sense of guilt and shame um, physical discomfort and an overall lack of control. Um, reason I want to define it is because I have a lot of clients that I'm sure you do too, that are like, Oh, well I binged. And I'm like, what did you do? And, and it's like, Oh, well, you know, I just ate like a half a package of rice cakes. And I'm like, let's not call that a binge <laughs> or, you know, something just, I, I went out and had a hamburger with my husband and, and I was just full all night. That's not a binge either. Um, that's you overeating. And 
I don't know if you agree with that definition or if you want to add anything to it, but I just thought it was important to kind of separate overeating and emotional eating from an actual binge. Complete agreement with you on that. I feel like a lot of people think that they're binge eaters, but when you have them open up and share more of their story with you, you realize that they're not binge eaters. They just have, a, they're maybe compulsive overeaters or have these episodes here and there where they just stuff themselves. They overeat when we all do that. Um, but binge eating is very different. I kind of explain it as almost an out of body experience where you generally consume thousands of calories in a sitting. And the only time you really stop is because you hit a wall. Either you run out of food or you're kind of in so much pain that you just can't really go any further. Um, it's, and it tends to be pretty rapid. I would say in my experience, my binges um, were usually at night, which is what I most commonly see after the long day, right? When you're alone, a lot of the time it's done in secrecy. So if somebody walks in on you, you're going to probably try and hide your food, whereas compulsive overeating or overeaters generally don't do that, right? There is, as you suggested, a lot of guilt and shame around it. And also what I see a lot of is the following day, similar to what I described earlier, that self-loathing, punishing exercise. Right. Compensation. Right. Yeah. What do you think causes people to become binge eaters in the first place? And um, do you feel like it's always sort of similar to your story? Or do you think that there are multiple reasons? Is there sort of a comment that you hear from people? Um, what are some things that people can look out for so that they don't start experiencing these binge eating episodes? So I think if someone is a binge eater, then they obviously have a history of dieting and restriction, period. Like if you're not feeling deprived and restricted, then you're probably not going to have this food obsession and start because you have to obviously feel like something is being taken away from you to kind of boomerang back in the opposite direction. And, or, you know, I, I like to use the bow and arrow analogy because it's like the further back you pull your diet, the more restrictive it gets, the bigger your binging is going to get, right? So if somebody's like kind of new to dieting, chances are they're not really experiencing binges yet because you have like a certain level of restraint you're not as deep into the rabbit hole yet you don't have as many rules you don't have as many food limitations right but like the longer you diet you it's almost inevitable that you're going to hit the point of becoming a binge eater um, because as i said earlier i mean the noose just gets tighter and tighter and tighter you're kind of painting yourself into the corner because as i said your list of foods that are available to you become smaller and so you just feel more restricted. And if you feel restricted, the body is going to fight back because it does see that as starvation. So it is, this is its way of protecting you and itself. It's its defense mechanism is kind of saying, hey, you're an asshole. Like this is too extreme. This isn't comfortable for me. And 
But you know what? We're so disconnected from our bodies that we just don't even pay attention. We don't respect that voice because being thin is the be all and all. Our entire life is wrapped up and our worthiness is strongly attached to our physical, you know, beauty standards. So like we will do whatever it takes to tick that box. And even if it means sacrificing our mental well-being, our health, whatever, it doesn't matter. There is nothing people won't pay to be skinny or won't do to be skinny, right? And so I just feel like if that's the path you're on and you're willing to get extreme, which eventually you will, you have to, because diets don't work. So they kind of guide you down this path. You just keep trying and trying and trying. But as you try more and more, you get more extreme, more restrictive, right? So it's just inevitable. I feel like for most people, if, if they have been at the diet game long enough, it's a matter of time. Um, so are there people that don't get to the binge eating stage? Yes. Um, but I don't work with those people. <laughs> like, those are not the ones sure they exist, yeah. but like I'm not working with them, you know? Right. Right. Absolutely. I have found, you kind of mentioned, you know, that somebody who is new to dieting probably isn't going down that rabbit hole just yet. And it's sort of an accumulation of restriction over time. What do you think it is about restriction that is so appealing now? Because we do have quite a bit more information than we used to, even you know, 10 or 15 years ago when you and I were starting to follow this rabbit hole. Things have really come a long way, and yet binge eating and the things that go along with it are not getting any slimmer. They're not changing. It's, it's actually growing, a growing problem. Why do you think people are so attracted to overly restrictive diets? I think because the primary reason is the influence of media is just so profound and in your face more than ever. And we get to see all of these overnight success stories while scrolling on Instagram and Facebook. And it just makes it seem so easy and attainable. And so if they can do it, why can't I? Something's wrong with me. So they go down the rabbit hole of, well, if I've had some success with scaling back my carb intake, then I can have even more success if I just eliminate carbs altogether. And so, so I think social media is just a huge influence in, in all of our lives and all aspects of our lives. But especially if you're somebody who is following weight loss content, you're going to stumble upon mainstream media. Uh, and the vast majority of fitness professionals are not talking about binge eating and emotional eating. They're sending a message of restriction uh, through calorie counting, macro counting, keto, intermittent fasting, you name it. And so, you know, that's the vast majority. You and I are the weird ones over here in the, the corner of the market where we're talking about this stuff. But unfortunately, we are not mainstream. We are um, the individuals who kind of help chronic dieters find their lives and get it back. But, you know, unfortunately, we just don't have a big enough voice yet. I think it's definitely getting better. I think that there are people, there's more voices popping up and it is getting a little louder. But I mean, we are dealing with 
Goliath here. Like it's, you know, and also let's be honest, like our way, uh, our approach is not um, easy to sell, right? Like we can't package it up into a little pretty, um, you know, I guess like fat loss pill or, you know, throwing a macro or calorie count total at you is just a very easy thing to do. What I feel like helping people change their mindset is just a different ball game altogether. You know, in some respects, and this might sound a little um, egotistical, but I feel like the fitness industry is playing chess, excuse me, checkers. And then we're over here like playing chess, right? Like it's just, it's, it's hard to get people to change their thoughts and beliefs and their inner psychology about themselves. And like you said, um, everybody is kind of looking for the, the quick fix and that's not what you and I are about. And so it's not a popular message and they don't want to believe it because this is like the real work, which is why I, I always kind of tease my clients about, I know that I am their last resort. I am the last stop, their last hope. And I'm cool with that. I got it. I was, you know, I was trying all the bullshit quick fix stuff too, but it never worked. And it, it, didn't work then and it's not going to work now, but you know what? People need to figure that out for themselves. They'll come into it on their own when they're ready. Uh, but to be fair, like your message and mine is going to go over most people's heads until they reach a certain point of difficulty in their dieting. A lot of what we're talking about and how we're saying it is not going to resonate. You have to be stuck and yeah. willing to try something different. I think that it's really difficult to sell people the idea that they have to, A, have patience. Nobody wants that. Right. Much rather a 30-day challenge or some sort of quick thing. And most people, in my experience, go on these diets because they are triggered by something, a new year's resolution that always is a really big one or summer is coming or they have a beach vacation or a wedding to go to or a, a high school reunion. I mean, heaven forbid the people that you knew 30 years ago judge you for being <laughs> a size that you're uncomfortable in. Like, everybody goes through their life experiences, but these things tend to trigger reactions in people. And so when you say, well, you know, maybe in six to 12 months, you'll, you'll start to see, you know, some real shifts and changes. They're like, huh, but, but I, I have this thing in 30 days. What can we do in that amount of time? And I'm like, not much, but, <laughs> and also a lot, right? These are things we're not selling you the things that you have to do. We are teaching you who you need to become. And that takes a lot of work and there's no numbers to go along with that. And people just love those kinds of like, aren't you just going to give me an exact thing to do? Give me instructions one by one because it takes their responsibility out of this game and they need to take responsibility for their own transformation. And that's only because that's how it lasts, right? Completely. I feel like the number chasing is just such a comfortable place for especially dieters to be because they can quantify everything. And yes, they can blame you if they're not like getting the results, if they're eating the appropriate amount of calories and macros or like blame Dr. Oz because he recommended this 
root pill and like they're taking the supplement and it's not working. You know what I mean? It's just like, it does everything, but put the power back into their own hands and look in themselves and say like, what am I doing wrong? Why do I want to overeat? Like, what am I feeling? What habit have I created that has got me to this point? It's just so much easier to blame the metabolism, the age, the carbs, the sugar, whatever. And so as far as the timeline is concerned, I mean, I would argue, yes, six months might sound like a long time, but how long have you been dieting? Because in the grand scheme of your life, chances are you've been yo-yoing back and forth and losing the same 25 to 30 pounds over and over and over again. Like at what point are you going to get sick and tired enough to say enough and be willing to say, you know what, maybe I'm done putting the bandaid on this shit and I just need to get real with myself and take a deeper look inward and, and figure out what is going on with me. Why am I turning to food for comfort? What are my triggers? Who are my triggers? What environment makes me feel some type of way, right? You just have to be willing to learn about yourself because that's really all it is, isn't it? It's just awareness and seeking a deeper understanding about yourself. This really has nothing to do with food, by the way, like at all. And that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, we'll get off of a, a call. And I'm like, you know, we just spent like 25 minutes talking about everything but food. Are you starting to see that this is not a food problem? There's always a reason why you're doing what you're doing with food. So we don't want to like focus on the results. We want to focus on what can we do to help change the outcome by changing your behavior. And you first have to be willing to understand it. But yeah, that takes real uncomfortable work for people because they have to admit that they are wrong in some aspects of themselves. And that can be pretty, most people don't like the way that feels. Right. So when a client comes to you and says, I'm a binge eater, and I like to just kind of bring up one point that I try to help people sort of separate themselves from the label of being a binge eater mm -hmm. and start to shift them toward saying, I experience binge eating. That way, you know, you talk about ego and egotistical, the ego loves identity labels. So if you say, I'm a binge eater, then it's part of who you are. You right. have identified as that person. So you just as well cut off your own arm as to try and change part of who you are, right? It's, it's pretty difficult. But if you can shift that frame and say, I am a binge eater to I'm someone who experiences binge eating, then it's separate from you and you can start to look at it and break down some of the reasons why maybe you experience that. So if somebody comes to you and says, I'm a binge eater, what are some of the first things that you start to look at or how do you help them shift from that identity to behaving differently? I mean, I think I'm with you on the fact that the labels are concerning because if we do 
And it's not just binge eating, obviously, right? It's all labels in our lives. If we talk about being an introvert or I'm not a runner or I'm not a morning person, like these kind of labels box us into an identity and we kind of take it on and accept it as who we are. And we don't really question it or challenge it. We just kind of hold on to it and it keeps us safe and prevents us from growing and being willing to explore other aspects of ourselves or prove it wrong. Um, so I do think that that's a great point that you brought up. But as far as helping clients that are binge eaters, I mean, listen, as I said at the earlier, it comes down to restriction. So the first step is really getting them to stop restricting. You can't stop binge eating until you stop restricting. Steph, I know you're familiar with my program. And the first thing that I ask my clients to do is eat three meals a day sitting at a table with their food plated without distraction and incorporating a quote unquote trigger food. That's anything that you associate with weight gain or something that makes you uncomfortable. For a lot of us, it's sugar, carbs, right? Whatever. We, it's, it's different for all of us. Some people can be totally fine eating fruit while other people are very triggered by eating fruit. I was somebody who was triggered by the amount of sugar in fruit, so I avoided that. So you can see how deep into the rabbit hole we get when we're afraid of eating fruit, but like that's where I was. So you kind of have to start with, with where you are and be willing to say, you know what, today I'm going to incorporate into one of my meals three bite-sized Snickers candy bars at lunch and then at dinner, I'm gonna have like a, Skype, a scoop of ice cream or a slice of pizza or something. Well, of course, for a binge eater, that is scary as shit because the reality is that means it's not just gonna be three pieces, uh, bite-sized pieces of Snickers candy, Leslie. It's gonna be like the entire bag. I've done that before. I always tell myself I'm just gonna have one or two. It's never been just one or two. Well. Exactly. That's why we're going to start practicing and you're going to have a boundary and you're going to this time instead of numb yourself and do it in an emotionally heightened state. We're going to go to this like you would practicing a piano lesson. We're going to be calm, cool, collected. We're going to experience all the feelings. I know gross, yucky, right? But like this is the real work and you get to start noticing. Do you even like the way this tastes? using all five of your senses like let's get familiar with it because we have to learn how to love our food again as dieters we very much see food as the enemy and so as long as we feel that way it has power and control over us and we need to take that back and so yes in the beginning you might eat the entire bag big deal you're already doing it anyway let's be honest you're just doing it in unhinged out of control way, but this time we're going to learn how to do it with intention, without judgment, without shame, just neutral. And we just practice that um, three meals per day. And then, you know what? For most, after about week two, three, these foods are not feeling so special anymore. They don't really have the same power over it. We're not obsessing over them in between meals. We're no longer eating the entire bag, right? Like slowly but surely through repetition and practice, we get to a place where these foods are no longer the highlight in our day. 
it just becomes neutral like every other food. But the hard part is getting people over the initial hurdle because their biggest fear, Steph, I know you know this, is, is not the food. It's not the weight gain. It's what they think society and others are going to think about them if they do put on weight, right? So like, if you wanna just cut the shit and get right to the bottom of it, it's like, what are you really afraid of here? Because it's not the food and it's really not even the weight gain for most of them, right? It's really just like what the weight gain represents in our society and how you're gonna be judged, shamed, rejected, whatever. And so another piece of that obviously is helping clients find peace in their bodies. So they're not constantly trying to white knuckle their way around food to manage everybody else's expectations or thoughts or beliefs about them and just kind of taking their power back in their own life and, and being their authentic selves. But the ironic thing is like, as you stop binge eating on a regular basis, well, now you're consuming fewer calories. So you do kind of start to lose weight when you can do this consistently and food becomes less interesting because we all know absence makes the heart grow fonder. If somebody tells us we can't have it, we now suddenly are on the lookout for it. We're like a watchdog, like where is it? And that's really our brain's way of protecting us. Um, Subconsciously, it's trying to make sure that you know, it hears danger. We shouldn't be doing this thing. And it has the opposite effect for now. It's like, we shouldn't be doing this thing. We're, we shouldn't be wanting this food. Like where now we're looking for it, right? We're scanning around. So when you give yourself permission to eat it, the brain gets quiet and it's no longer obsessing over it. It's no longer looking for it. So um, I think that's really just the first step is getting present with it and having the experience, not running away from it, not giving it your power, seeing it as an an animate object that is not the boss of you. Right. Um, I just want to kind of circle back a little bit where you said it's about what other people in society will think of them, which is completely accurate. And one of the things that kind of separates what you do and also what I do from maybe some of the other anti-diet approaches is that we validate that experience, right? Because absolutely it is hard to navigate your life in a world that is judging you against your body like it is the most important contribution you can make. That is a valid concern because it's the world we live in. And while validating it and understanding it, we're not shame you and judge you for wanting a different condition. Instead, we are going to teach body acceptance and how to love the body that you're in, how to celebrate what it can do now and your experience right now, but also understand that that doesn't mean that you can't have goals in the future to make changes because body autonomy is also really important, right? You can feel um, better in a certain size or at a certain quote, weight or achieve a certain look if you want to, but we really have to get all of the other stuff taken care of so that you are standing on a really strong foundation instead of urgently trying to get there, which by the way, the body hates. The faster you try to manipulate and change and shift it, the harder you're going to have, the harder it's going to be to maintain it long-term. The body just has way too many systems in place to try and balance all of that back out. 
one thing that I would love for you to tell my audience if they are experiencing binge eating and they're going through this process of body acceptance and working through their emotional stuff, but they sort of make a mistake in their mind and they binge again, what are the things that you would tell them to do after a binge or some of the things that they should avoid doing after a binge? You just have to stop the cycle. The dieter in you is going to want to restrict, right? Skip breakfast, only 500 calories today, lean protein and vegetables, that's it. Punish yourself with additional exercise. That just keeps the cycle going. So I just recommend pretending like it didn't happen. <laughs> like that is it. Because as long as you continue to feed into it and shame yourself and guilt yourself, well, now it still has this power over you, right? And so we're not actually, um, I guess at that point to talk about the identity labels, we're no longer really separating ourselves from the binge eater in us at that point in time. And that's the real goal is to no longer see that as a part of you. That is a behavior that happened maybe last night, but that doesn't mean it has to be who you are right now in this moment. And so you can disconnect from that, shrug it off, it happened. Is, I think a moment of reflection is helpful always to just seek to understand what were the triggers? What were the events that led me to this point? So you can learn from it and apply it moving forward. But I really just encourage my clients to be completely neutral and talk to themselves as they would their favorite pet, their best friend, and just be like, hey, you were having a hard day. Like that was just a tough moment. Can we have like a little compassion and kindness and patience here for you? because that's really what you need. You need a hug and some comfort. You don't need to be bullying and punishing yourself. Um, and the reality of it is when we speak to ourselves in that way, we respond much more positively, right? And so I think with my clients, you know, as far as strategy is concerned, I just tell them, look, you probably ate enough for four meals last night. It happens. Just wait until your body says it's time to eat again. So let's get out of your head and into your body. And it is in the driver's seat. It's calling the shots. Mentally, you're still operating with somewhat of a diet brain here. So let's just be honest that the pull you're having, the urges you're having to restrict and deprive and over-exercise, that's your dieting history talking. And that's those habits that you've created in your mind, but you don't have to act on them because the more you act on them, then on, obviously the more we're strengthening them. And right now we're in the process of trying to create a new neurological pathway, a new habit. And so we have to break the cycle. And today we're going to just choose because emotions are a choice. Thoughts are a decision. You get to decide how you feel about this. And we're going to choose to feel differently. We're going to choose to break the cycle. And we're just going to let our body call the shots. Get out of your head. Go outside. Go call a friend. Go do whatever you enjoy. Take a bath. Get your, you know, pedicure, whatever your jam is. Like, figure it out. But, like, let's just be kind to ourselves today. And then let our body communicate when it's time to eat. And, like, we're just going to pretend like it didn't happen. 
uh, for the most part. I mean, it doesn't really benefit you at all to feel guilty or to get stuck in that negative thought loop because we know that just leads to more negative outcomes. So you're more likely to overeat again or to continue to keep the cycle going, right? So you have to got to break the cycle and just, as I've indicated, be willing to do something different. And that's the hard part because that urge, that habit is there and it's going to be calling your name, but like a stray cat, if you don't keep feeding it, eventually it does disappear and it's not going to really show up as often anymore because you're not much fun to hang out with anymore. You know, it's going to go find somebody else. So you just have to have the courage um, to do something different. I'm not saying it's going to be easy right out the gate. You're probably going to still have some restrictive tendencies, but that's why we practice to get better at things. And when you are a student, you have the ability to screw up. And that's okay, because that's what it looks like to be a beginner at learning a new skill. So like expect it. And I think that framing it that way for my clients is really helpful. When they hear the words practice and they hear the words student, it changes their perception of what this process is because they come from, again, such an extremist black and white mentality, all or nothing perfection mindset. It's like, whoa, are you telling me you're the first coach I've ever talked to, a personal trainer or whatever, who's like not fussing at me for screwing up or whatever, right? So it's just kind of that compassionate piece that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you said a few things that are really important and I kind of want to highlight them. One of them was talking to yourself like a pet or a child or a best friend or something that you have a good relationship with that you would never judge or shame or cause harm to. And that gives you what you actually need. You said you might need that hug or that comfort. And by talking to yourself in that way, you're actually meeting your own needs. So whatever triggered that binge eating episode, it's important to learn, hey, I was meeting a need here. And I can actually, I have the power to do that outside of food. I can meet my own needs. I do have control. I don't have to be perfect. I can give myself some grace and space to screw up. And I can learn to meet my own needs more quickly as I practice over time, right? And that perfectionist mindset tends to be, and you know, anybody who identifies as type A or um, having to do all the things and get everything right, a perfect student versus just a new student are the ones who tend to really go down this rabbit hole because it's just a heavy burden to try to be so perfect all the time. And the other thing that you mentioned that kind of reminded me of a sense of safety, you said something about, you know, we're rewiring a new neural pathway here. And we talk about how the brain likes safety. It likes to have this sense of everything is gonna be okay. And so when we get triggered by our perfection that didn't quite pan out or something that, we immediately go down that road of we're not safe, we're not okay. And we find ways to make ourselves feel safe. And sometimes that manifests as binge eating or um, something that makes us feel like we are in control or that we can just lose control. There's both sides of that coin. So if you can create a way to make yourself feel safe in advance and more often and start paying attention to the times that you actually don't feel good, that you don't feel safe, you can start to see when these things are gonna happen ahead of time. Yeah, 
And that's powerful, right? That, that's how real change ultimately happens through this process. I mean, people come into this and they're very skeptical or, you know, because they have decades where they've been collecting data that they can't do the, you can't just have the one cookie. So, you know, they come kind of hauling in all their baggage and like, I've got all this evidence I've collected throughout the years. Um, but it's important for them to have like these little wins, small things on a daily basis that shows them that they are changing, that they can do this. And I know you and I have talked about it in my program. This is why we track what I refer to as a daily win. And it doesn't even have to be food related or related to your exercise or whatever. This is just to help clients start developing a mindset for seeking out the positive things that are happening in their lives. Because as you know, Steph, positive minds lead to positive outcomes. And if you're someone who has a negative bias, you probably live a pretty unhappy life. And so you can change that, but it takes work and it takes learning how to seek out the good and training your brain to do that. And when you start seeking out the good in your eating and it's like, okay, yeah, that maybe last time I ate these cookies, I did have six, but this time I only had like five. That's for a perfectionist that still feels like a massive failure, right? But as someone who is starting to see the good, they can start to recognize that I am changing here. I might not be where I want to be yet, but the reality is if you, for example, are like a 200 pound person and you do ultimately want to become a 150 pound person, well, you first have to learn how to be 175 pound, I can't speak, 175 pound person before you can be 170 pound person. So it's a process. If you were to just wake up tomorrow 140, 50 pounds or whatever, what the hell did you learn? You know, you have got to go through the journey so you can understand what is essential, what's going to be necessary for you to be able to sustain that. So as you said earlier, the longer it takes, the better. And that's so true because the real reward is not at the quote unquote finish line, proverbial, right? What does that even mean? It's really in the journey and the process and the self-discovery that happens along the way. So um, I think it's just really important that people recognize how, it, how valuable it is to take the slow path, let go of the timeline, remove the pressure, stop shutting, I should be at a different point by now, stop comparing and just be open to change and it takes as long as it takes that is it right there i think that that's a really good spot to um, start to wrap this up is there anything that you want my audience to take away from today put in a small sentence one key takeaway that they can you know, use as a mantra or make sure it sticks out in their head as they start to sort of unravel their own relationship with binge eating and food? I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's just such a complex issue. I wish it was as simple as like putting it into like a sentence and wishing you well um, and sending you on your way and everything was going to be like honky dory, right? But that's not how real change happens. Um, that's, you know, you've probably seen me talk about how much 
I really dislike when people ask me for tips or mm -hmm. I cringe internally when people are asking like four tips that word in itself because I'm just like this is not a tip thing this is like tips are not your problem your problem is your self-limiting beliefs and so I think um, if people can be open to looking in and recognizing like just stop starting with like what are my top three self-limiting beliefs when it comes to trying a approach like yours and like stop dieting right stop calorie counting stop macro counting like what are your biggest fears let's be honest weight gain that's at the top of the list for everyone right so you're gonna have to be willing to have some courage to try something different so if there's anything i can ask your listeners to do is just commit one week of practicing what i described at the be um, earlier in the podcast plating your food sitting down at a table incorporating your trigger food just give it seven look dieting's not going anywhere calorie count all that stuff is still going to be here but be willing to confront your fears your food fears and have the lesson see what you learn explore no judgment no shame just go into it like a scientist would or you know a medical professional or a detective we're just collecting data here let's see and i think when people commit to doing that they are surprised they're a lot stronger than they ever gave themselves credit for around these foods and so i think you just have to be willing to take that first step the courage to try something different and new and um what happens is you will possibly lose a diet and gain a life at the end of the day. That's really what we want. There's your mantra right there. Lose <laughs> a diet and gain a life. Holy cow. That's it, right? That's the whole goal. Nobody wants to spend the rest of their life dieting. How boring. And yet I know people who are in their 80s and still suffer from disordered eating patterns. So yeah, there you go right there lose the diet, gain a life. I think that that's a great place to end this. Leslie, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, get in touch with you, all the things? I would love to do that. So I am probably most active on Instagram. So for your listeners, anyone who look, wants to look me up, they can find me at hooper.fit. And my website is just my name, super easy to find www.lesliehooper.com. And then I would welcome your listeners to also find me on my podcast with my co-host Raj Law, and that is called Fat Murder. So those are probably the three points where people can find me easiest. And I have a lot of free ebook downloads that people can access as well. So can gain some instant information through that resource as well. And those are on my, my Instagram page and website as well. I will link in the show notes, all of these things so that you can find Leslie, follow her, learn from her. I have learned from her and we've had some really great conversations. I've even been on her podcast, so you can check out that episode as well. And I think that's our show today. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. For having me on stuff. I appreciate it. 
That was such a good episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Leslie is a wealth of knowledge and I hope to have her back again soon. For now, that is our show. Please make sure that if you got something out of this episode, you hit that five stars, leave a review. I love reading your comments, even if it's just a couple of words. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Of course, anything that we discussed today, you can find in the show notes. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.